Oh my god, I feel like I haven't heard your voice in forever. I know, it does feel like it's been like a really long week for no reason. Yeah, I don't understand what's up with that. I woke up the other day and I was like, wait a second, have we recorded our podcast yet? And then I realized it was only Thursday. Yeah. It's kind of weird. It's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Um, get ready for part three. It gets worse than worse. I don't really oh, know how no. to title it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going over my notes and I was like, wow, it really does get worse. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm Sonia. I'm Maddie. And welcome to Grim. Woo! Okay, so, um, if you remember from last week, which really feels like ages ago, like, so long ago, um, our, our friendly Golden State killer here, uh, had been raping a bunch of people, just really being a terrible human being, Mm -hmm. um, and if you don't remember all the details from that case and you want to go over that, feel free to listen to our previous episodes. We did one on his time as a Vasilia ransacker. Weeks was on um, the East Area Rapist. And we get into all the details, so that was fun. <laughs> um, but this week we're going to be talking about his time as the original Night Stalker. And yeah, okay. <laughs> I have no transition. Okay. Um, <laughs> after the rape that was committed on July fifth, nineteen seventy-nine, um, that was his last, like, really. That was his last recorded rape as the East Area Rapist. So he moved to Southern California after that, and started attacking Santa Barbara County in October of nineteen seventy-nine. So he had a really short cooling-off period there. He just kind of fled and then started again. Okay. Um, these attacks lasted until 1981, and then there was a single attack that happened in 1986 that was um, linked to him. Uh, this period of time is when he started killing his victims. So before this, he would just like rape them and then leave, like psychologically torture them, and then he moved on to actually killing them. Um, the only couple who survived his attacks was the first uh, couple that he attacked. They kind of like alerted their neighbors and then forced him to flee. Um, the other victims were murdered by either gunshot or by to death. So the East Area Rapist wasn't linked to these crimes at the time. He had a whole different like MO because he started killing people. So they were like, oh, it's definitely not him. So they called him the Night Stalker. He was then, like, the name was then altered slightly to be the original Night Stalker when a serial killer later called Richard Ramirez started doing also terrible things, murdering people, and then he was called the Night Stalker. Okay. I don't know why they couldn't have just picked a different name, but... Nah, he called Dibs. <laughs> the media was just wild back then. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so in 1979... On October 1st, an intruder broke into the house, into a house, and he tied up the couple who lived there. They both tried to escape after hearing him say, quote, I'll kill him, end quote. Oh, God. Um, so just immediately, that also reminds me of 
the phone conversations that he had previously um, as the East Area Rapist when he um, had called a bunch of people and had started threatening them. He'd said, I'll kill him to a couple of them, like either mm. threatening them or one of the first one that he called, he threatened her husband. So it reminds me of that. Kind of similar there. Yeah. I guess. Um, but he left the room, I guess, where he tied the couple up and the woman ended up screaming. So he then realized that it was probably a bad idea to stay since he realized that people had probably heard her scream. Okay. So he fled on a bicycle. Um, then uh, tied up? Yeah. Okay. He just like left the house. Um, the neighbor was an FBI agent, actually, and he responded oh, to the scream. Yeah, right? Imagine living next to an FBI agent. I'd feel yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> um, but he ended up pursuing whoever had broken into the house. They didn't know who it was at the time. Um, but he abandoned the bicycle and the knife that he had with him, and he ran away on foot. Okay. The attack was also linked to the Offerman-Manning murders um, by, like, prints found on the scene, and then he also used, like, rope or, like, twine or whatever to bind his victims. Um, so that was, like, they were like, oh, he's definitely a murderer. Mm-hmm. Um, the same year, on December 30th, 44-year-old Robert Offerman and 35-year-old Deborah Alexander Mang were found shot to death in Robert's condominium. So this was the murder that I was mentioned before. Um, Robert Offerman had ligature marks, but he was untied, so they thought that he had probably, like, attacked whoever tried to attack him after. Um, the neighbors reported hearing gunshots, and then they found paw prints of a large dog at the scene, so they thought the killer brought one with him. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think he did that any other time. It was just like, where did the dog come from? Yeah. Um... And then he also um, broke into the, like, house next door, which was empty at the time, um, and he sold a bicycle from there. Uh, the I bicycle... Really like to steal bikes. Right? I don't, like, why? I think maybe he should just invest in one of his own. Honestly, he really should. But then, I guess, like, if he has to leave it somewhere, it could be linked back to him. Oh, that's true. But still, like, it seems like it's a lot of work to plan out a murder and then plan out where you're stealing a bike from. Yeah. I don't know. Um, The bike was later found on the street north of the house, so he did abandon it. And this was the first murder that he committed as the original Night Stalker and how they were able to link um, the first, like, attack to the first murder. Um, In 1980, so the next year... Um, on March 13th, he had just a couple of months where he didn't kill anyone. Um, 33-year-old Charlene Smith and 43-year-old Lyman Smith. I'm really hoping that's how you pronounce the name. It's L-Y-M-A-N. Okay. Um, they were also found murdered in their house. Uh, Charlene was raped. So that was kind of fitting the MO of the, um, East Area Rapist. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they realized that there was a log from like the pile of wood by the side of their house that they had that was taken from the pile and used to bludgeon them to death wait I have um, so during the rapes it was that he would like stack dishes or something on top of the guy right to make sure that he didn't move to try and get help yeah would he still do that now during the kill- killings 
I don't think so. I didn't hear any or like read anything about that. I think he would just kill the guy. Okay. Oh, he'd kill them first. Okay, okay. That's what I'm getting from what was happening here. But like I know he'd have to be quick cuz like the first um murder that he committed, he used a gun. And the neighbors like had heard it. So I think that's when he switched oh. to bludgeoning them so that he could rape the woman. Okay. Because I, I guess that's probably quieter. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but their wrists and their ankles were tied together with, like, the drapery cord, like, from, like, what used to keep the curtains apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and they found that uh, Charlene's wrists had been tied using a diamond knot. Um, and this was the same kind of knot that was used um, on the East Area Rapist victims. So at this point in time, after he had attacked three couples and killed one, they called him the Diamond Knot Killer. Okay. Um, I also think that that's one of the ways that they, like, linked the killing to the rapes. Is that, like, an unusual knot? I think so. I think it's, like, because he would have, in the East Area Rapist crimes he would have the woman tie up the man and then he would tie up the woman and it it was like the same knot used on the woman so it's not like a like just like tied together like it's like a intricate knot kind of thing okay um on august 19th uh keith eli harrington was 24 years old and patrice briscoe harrington was 27 years old and they were found bludgeoned to death in their home, which was actually in a gated community. Oh. So he had somehow gotten into a gated community. Um, they did find that Patrice was raped, and there was evidence on their wrists and their ankles that they had been bound. Um, but there were no like actual ligatures um, at the scene, and they also couldn't find the murder weapon at the scene. This is really sad. They were only married for three months before they were killed. Mm-hmm. Um, Patrice was a nurse and Keith was a medical student. So mm. that's really, really upsetting. That they is. were so young. Yeah. Um, you know how, I don't know if this is like an actual thing, but in Criminal Minds, they mentioned once that like a person or like a, an offender's preference depends on their age too. Yeah. Yeah, that thing. I feel like this is interesting because he was really attacking people of all different ages, like somewhere in their twenties oh. and somewhere in their thirties. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't notice that. Wow. I don't, so I might just be like, that's not a thing, but I feel like that's really interesting that he's been doing this. He like doesn't really seem to have a preference. Yeah, I mean, usually anyway, like there is some kind of like like profile if you will like that the victims fit as well yeah kind of all over i mean i guess they're all couples which is that might just be the but still like the age thing i would think be a little more uniform right and the fact that like one of them was just like in a gated community Mm -hmm. and the other ones like weren't like one of them was like in a place where they had like neighbors close by one of them wasn't like it's just Mm -hmm. very like weird what he's doing and it seems kind of random to me I don't know if it was random to the detectives on the scene but I if I was there I probably wouldn't be able to make a link between them like in terms of victim profile yeah me neither 
So yeah, that's weird. Just another weird thing about this guy. Yeah. Add it to the list, you know? <laughs> um, in 1981, on February 6th, uh, 28-year-old Manuela Witten, um, her name is spelled... W-I-T-T-H-U-N. Okay. Um, just in case I'm not pronouncing that correctly, because as we have learned from experience, I don't know how to pronounce names. <laughs> um, was raped and murdered in her home in Irvine. Um, again, her body did show signs of like being bound or like having ligature marks before she was killed. But there were no ligatures on the scene and there was no murder weapon at the scene. So he's really just taking everything with him. Wait, was that a single woman? Yeah. Oh, I thought he was mostly going after couples. Well, she was married, but her husband was at the hospital at the time when Uh, she was attacked at her home. So she was alone when she was attacked. Which, yeah, it is interesting. Like, it's weird. I feel like with his whole thing of, like, profiling and, like, stalking his victims, he would have known that she was alone. So I don't know why he did that. Weird. Um, yeah, but her TV was also found in her backyard, so, um, they thought that this was because, um, the killer wanted to make it look like a robbery gone wrong, which, again, doesn't fit his MO. Yeah. So that's weird. Like, the rest of them, he just left. Like, he killed Mm -hmm. and left. But this one, like, why would he throw her TV outside? Yeah, that is weird. Um... So yeah, another one to add to the list. I just don't understand this this guy. Yeah. Um, on July 27th, uh, Sherry Domingo uh, was 35 year old and Gre- 35 years old, and Gregory Sanchez was 27 year old. 27 years old. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, when they were murdered by the original mm-hmm. stalker. Both of them were attacked in Sherry's home where she was temporarily living. I guess it was like the house that we were in was owned by one of her relatives who was who died recently. So like she had the house temporarily and they were trying to sell it. Okay. So she didn't actually own the house. Um, but he, the killer broke into her house through a small bedroom window. I don't know how it fit, but yeah. I guess. Um, Gregory was found not bound like he didn't have ligature marks on him and he was shot in the cheek before he was bludgeoned to death with a garden tool so again weird little shift in his MO like he did kill him but in the other cases he had like bound them both mm-hmm. um, some of the investigators who were working the crimes believe that he might have realized um, that uh, I mean sorry uh, Gregory might have realized that the guy who broke in was the guy who had um, committed the offer in Manning murders because I guess those are more televised so they think he tried to tackle him rather than be tied up. Oh, okay. Um, which is why he was shot um, and then bludgeoned to death. I don't know. Um, in the article, one of the articles that I read said that no neighbors responded to the gunshot, so I don't know if this was just, like, in a really secluded area or if they just didn't care enough. Yeah, I was gonna say, were, were they close to neighbors that would have heard the gunshot? Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure, but one thing's certain, if I 
ever have a house, I definitely want it to be close to my neighbors. Yeah. Just, you know, from these murders. Um, and they found that his head was covered with clothes from the closet. Oh. Yeah. I don't know what's up with Odd. that. Yeah. Right? Um, Sherry was raped and bludgeoned to death, and again, the bruises, she found, they found bruises on her wrists and ankles that did indicate that she was tied up, but there were no ligatures found on the scene. Um, and there was also a piece of twine found near the bed, and there were fibers from the twine on her body, but they, uh, don't know if the twine was brought in the house or if it was, like, already there. Um... The investigators believe that the attacker may have worked at, as a painter at the nearby shopping center when he committed the murders. But he, he didn't, right? Um, I don't think so. Okay. There was a period of time where, like, they just didn't know what he was doing. Oh, okay. So it could be, but, like, they don't know. Okay. Um, okay, so then those were the last murders that he committed in 1981, there was like a period that they couldn't find anything that they linked to him and then uh there was a single incident in 1986 it was may 4th when 18 year old janelle lisa cruz was found after she was raped and bludgeoned to death in her house that makes me so mad she was 18 like that's so young yeah um and her family was in mexico on vacation so like again like that's just really terrible. Um, that is. And there was a pipe wrench, I guess, that was supposed to be, that, like, they couldn't find, so they reported that missing when they got back as well, and that, that was thought to be the murder weapon, like, what he used to kill her. Um, so, yeah, I'm really, really sad that that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1990 and, like, 1991-ish, he made contact with the public through a phone call to one of the victims, and that was the last time that he ever contacted the public um, or, like, revealed himself, I guess. Yeah. He then disappeared, and then there were no murders or rapes by him after that. That's so... That's... Like, I just... It's so confusing to me, like, how he could, like, escalate so much in, like, that period of time and then just nothing. Right? Yeah. So, um, his little break, I guess, or his hiatus from... 81 to 86 did actually end up coinciding with the birth of his first daughter. Oh, okay. But it's the part after 86 where he just stopped. Oh. That confuses me because it's he contacted the public again in 1990 or like 1991-ish. Like mm-hmm. that time period. And then but there's still four years after he had attacked his last victim to when he contacted the public, and then after that, there was nothing. But, yeah, so he, I, don't, I don't get it. Yeah, so, like, the, I was thinking the exact same thing. Like, he really escalated. He went from just, like, robbing people to, like, full-on murdering them, and then he just mm-hmm. stopped. Like, like, I don't know. He... I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he just got too old, I guess. Yeah, or maybe he felt it was too risky now that he was, like, building a family. Maybe. I don't know. It's just That's just super weird to me, because I feel like with a lot of the cases that we've read, it's either that, like, aren't just, like, single murders. It's, like, yeah. they have to be stopped before they can stop. 
Yeah, because, like, they can't stop themselves. Yeah, so this is weird to me, too. I don't know. Um, I guess, yeah, I could be because of the family, because his first daughter was born in 1981, and his second was born in 1986. Okay. So maybe that's why he stopped, because he was, like, building a family. I guess it's as good a theory as any that I have heard. Um, mm-hmm. But his employment history again in the 1980s is unknown so they don't know where he was they don't know what he was doing they know that he was a police officer and he was working in a couple of other places and then he got arrested for stealing the dog repellent and the hammer um and then they just don't know what he was doing in the 1980s weird yeah but they do know that from 1990 until he retired in 2017 which was like literally three years ago he was still free three years ago yeah, that's terrifying. <laughs> Absolutely terrifying. Um, he worked as a truck mechanic at a supermarket distribution center in Roseville. Okay. I don't know where he has the skills to work as a truck mechanic, because he just worked as a police officer before this, but okay. Huh. <laughs> yeah. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, he was also arrested in 1996 over, like, an incident at a gas station. I don't know what the incident is. It just mentioned an incident, and then the charge was dismissed after that. Okay. Um, but in 1981, he separated from his wife, and she later filed for divorce in 2018. Okay. And this is before anything came out? Um, yeah, I guess, because okay. he retired in 2017. And then they caught him. I, the date is, like, further down, and I will talk about that. I don't remember exactly what the date was, but it was recent. Yeah. Like, he hasn't been formally charged yet, either. Oh, he hasn't? No, that's why, like, I looked into this case. It was just in the news, because he was, like, um, like, found, I guess. Or, like, mm. they had been like, yeah, this guy is the um, Golden State Killer. Um, but, yeah, it was... It's really recent. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember hearing about it. Yeah. And then it was something like wild. <laughs> Which is, it's so terrifying to me that these people can still, like, not be caught. Like, he, yeah. like, he was out there. He was just it there. Could be any- yeah. It just, it messes with my trust. I don't trust anyone anymore. <laughs> like, um, yeah. So, again, these murders were not initially collect- connected to the Vasily Ransacker and the East Area Rapist at the time. Um, but in 2001, it was discovered that the DNA that they found from the original Night Stalker matched the Easter Rapist. Oh, okay. So in 2001, they deemed him the most prolific serial offender in Californian history. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty fair. <laughs> yeah. It's not a title I'd be proud of. Like, Mm-mm. like that's just, that's just a disgusting thing to be like, yeah, I'm the most prolific serial offender. Like, no, that's gross. Yeah. But he definitely deserves it. Yeah. He was an awful human being. <laughs> not a good person. Just a really, really terrible person. Um, so criminologists matched the bodily fluids, specifically the serological fluid evidence, which I did learn. I had to look it up. I didn't know what that was. I learned it was the study of antibodies in a serum, so mm. specifically in response to like an infection or to proteins found in the serum. Wild. Right? No. Science is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So he, they found um, the fluids from different crime scenes 
um, and like the murder scenes and used probabilistic analysis to create a psychological profile from just his DNA, I guess. Mm. It's crazy. Um, according to Leslie D'Ambrosia, she was the primary author of like this criminal profile. And she said it was likely that the killer had the following characteristics. Um, an emotional age equivalent to a 26 to 30 year old at the time the murders began, which was in 1979. He engaged in paraphilic behavior and in brutal sex in his personal life. He engaged in sex with prostitutes. He had some knowledge of police investigative methods and evidence gathering techniques. He was sexually functional, capable of ejaculation with consenting and non-consenting partners. He dressed well and would not stand out in upscale neighborhoods. Um, And then he lived or worked near Ventura, California in 1980. He was in good physical condition. He was skilled and experienced as a cat burglar and may have begun with cat burglar type crimes. Um, He had a criminal record as a teenager, which was expunged. He had some means of income, but did not work in the early morning hours. He hated women for either an actual or perceived wrong. He was probably intelligent and articulate. He was neat and well-organized in his personal life and probably drove a well-maintained car. And he peeped in the windows of many people who were not attacked. And lastly, he was probably very self-assured and confident. That's just so creepy to think, like, if you were living in that area during that time, you could be like, he could have been looking in my windows and I had no idea right that's absolutely terrifying to me like imagine learning that there was a guy who was in your neighborhood and killed the people like in your neighborhood or Mm -hmm. ransacked the houses of people in your he definitely had been looking at me yeah that's terrifying that's so scary yeah that's why I'm down for anything above a first floor window (laughs) (laughs) yes um, so according to this profile, they thought that the killer might have been in prison after his last murder or had been killed performing a crime. So they looked into burglaries in the late 1980s in which a lone male offender was killed. Um, they didn't really find anything there because obviously we know now he's alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was also a slight chance that he committed suicide, but it was according to the profile, unlikely that he was in a mental institution. Okay. Um, I, it's also crazy to me that they can just, like, build this kind of profile and be super specific about it, too. Like, Yeah, it is. It's, yeah, really cool. Right? Like, just, like, reading that entire list that Leslie made, like, some of those are super specific. Yeah. But, like, they do fit him. Like, that's yeah. crazy. I don't know. It's just wild to me. Um, so they also broadcasted messages that, like, like, oh, requesting information on similar home invasions that involve sexual assault, murder, bludgeoning, multiple victims, or, like, bondage. Um, but as of 2015, there were no other crimes that fit this description that were reported. It was possible, according to the profile, that the offender could have committed crimes in another county, and the records, like, wouldn't have been linked to the investigation. Which, again, is terrifying to me. Yeah. Because, like, what if they don't know all of the things that he's done? Yeah. That's scary. Um, 
anyway, before officially connecting the cases, the Night Stalker case to the rapist case in 2001, there were some law enforcement officials in like the Sacramento County Sheriff's Department that thought that there was a link between them and another case called the Goleta Murders. That was, they thought it was probably the case due to similarities in MO. But um, one of the already linked cases of like one of the double murders that the Night Stalker committed was committed um, 40 miles southeast of Goleta. And then the remaining murders were committed in Orange County, which was 90 miles southeast. So they were like, it's not incredibly likely that he would have driven all of those miles to commit another set of murders. Um, And in 2001, there were several rapes in the Contra Costa County that were believed to have been committed by the East State Rapist, but they were linked by DNA to the Smith-Harrington, Widom, and Cruz murders. So again, they did link them. Um, And then a decade later, there was DNA evidence that indicated that um, another, like the Domingo Sanchez murders were committed by the same guy. So they were compiling all of the evidence that he did, like making a list of who he actually had attacked. Okay, yeah. Um, Yeah. Also, I do want to say that the nickname The Golden State Killer was um, kind of like coined, I guess, by a true crime writer called Michelle McNamara. And she was writing about the case in a book that was titled I'll Be Gone in the Dark, One Woman's Obsessive Search for the Golden State Killer. I've been wanting to read that. I've heard it on, like, a lot of other podcasts. Right? It looks like it looks like it's super well written, too, and, like, really good. Yeah. So I, I do want to read it as well. Um, what is sad, though, is that it was published on February 27th, 2018, which was two years after she died by an accidental drug overdose. Um, And this was also two months before his arrest. Wow, that's crazy. Right? Um, On June 15th, 2016, the FBI released information including a lot of sketches and crime details and a $50,000 reward for him. And then eventually, through the genetics and also searching on GED Match, which is a genetic testing service. They identified his distant relatives and family members directly related to his great-great-great-grandfather, which dated back to the 1800s. Wow. Right? It's crazy that they have that information. Yeah. Um, But using this information, they built like 25 or something different family trees and then they used age, sex, place of re- and place of residence to rule out suspects from the trees. And they end up eliminating all the suspects until D'Angelo was the only one left. So that's how they caught him. They just used, like, yeah. family trees. That's so crazy. Um, okay, so he was born on November 8th, 1945, in New York. Um, Joseph James D'Angelo Sr., his father, was a U.S. Army surgeon sergeant they can speak <laughs> and Kathleen Louise uh, Bosenko was his mother he has three younger siblings two sisters and a brother and I just can't imagine being one of his siblings being like my oh, yeah. brother did all of that just like any of his like kind of close family like if you saw him at like a family get together oh god Ugh. oh creepy so creepy um a relative reported that when he was like 
either nine or ten, the exact age isn't specified, he witnessed his sister, who was seven years old at the time, being raped by two airmen in a warehouse in West Germany, which was where the family was stationed at the time. I feel so bad for her, seven years old, and going through a trauma like that. Yeah, no. I, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they moved to California, where he went to high school, and he got his GED certificate in 1964. He then joined the Navy in September of 1964 and served for 22 months during the Vietnam War. And then when he got back in August of 1968, he went to Sierra College in California, where that's when he met his ex-fiance, um, the one who had called her father to chase him away. Mm. Um, and he graduated with an associate's degree in police science. With honors. Again, I don't know how he managed to pull that. I feel like he's not the type of person to... I don't know. It's weird to me. Yeah, there's a lot of weird things about him. <laughs> Honestly. Add it to the list. Very long Add list. Right list. <laughs> yep, it's, it's so long. Oh, yeah. Um, in it's 1970- a CVS receipt. <laughs> I, it really is. It's, it's a CVS receipt of things that are just wrong. <laughs> um... In 1971, he attended Sacramento State, got his bachelor's in criminal justice, and then took post-grad courses and more police training at the College of the Sequoias. And then I don't understand how he could complete a 32-week police internship and still do all of these things. Like, Literally. I feel like you have training in criminal justice and law enforcement, and you're like, you know what I'm going to do? Murder people. Yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. He also served um, in the burglary unit in Exeter and then um, from May 1973 to August 1976, and then he relocated to Citrus Heights. This baffles me. He was promoted to sergeant. What? In 1976, and he was in charge of the police department's joint attack on burglary program as he was a burglar. What? Oh my god. His... This it's just it's absolutely insane. <laughs> like literally. What? I'm guessing it didn't do a very good job because he kept burglarizing. Right? <laughs> I mean, I guess like for him that was a great thing because he could be like, oh, just like petty crimes, like don't look into that, I guess, or something. Yeah. But still, like he is in charge of the unit on burglary and he's being a terrible person committing crimes at the same I I hate it. Literally. I really I hate it. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it really is. Um, he served again in Auburn from August of 1976 to July of 1979. That's when he was arrested for shoplifting hammer and dog repellent. And then he was sentenced to six months probation. At the end of that six months, he was fired. Um, in November of 1973, he married Sharon Marie Huddle in 1980 about a house in Citrus Heights. That was the house that he was eventually arrested at. Oh. So, good for them for arresting him. A little bit too late, but still. <laughs> at least they did it. Yeah. Um, Sharon was an attorney, and she, well, she became an attorney in 1982, and they had three daughters before they separated in 91. And then she filed for divorce in 2018. Um... So his brother-in-law, apparently, after he was caught and stuff, they talked to the family, I guess. And his brother-in-law said that he would casually bring up the Ysterra rapist in conversation around the time of the crimes. 
sketchy creepy (laughs) so creepy and his neighbors had reported that he was also prone to loud and profane outbursts of rage so again red flags yeah not good many many red flags yeah so um just about two years ago on august 24th 2018 sacramento county sheriff's department arrested joseph d'angelo two years ago (laughs) i just it still baffles me that he was free for this entire time it baffles me too but also at the same time it like it makes me so happy that even after like the case kind of like went cold for so long like they were still able to catch him yeah yeah it is yeah good good on them for sticking with it um when he was arrested, he was charged with eight counts of first-degree murder with special circumstances. Um, I don't know if you know what special circumstances are. I sure didn't. I was just about to say, I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Apparently, they're actions of the accused or conditions under which a crime, particularly a homicide, was committed. And if you're charged with special circumstances, they require or like allow for more severe punishment. Oh, okay. Um, they're actually elements of the crime not the crime itself and has to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt during like the guilt phase of the trial okay so yeah learning so much today oh yeah um when he was arrested again he was living in citrus heights with one of his daughters and his grandchild at the time i hate that he's a grandfather i hate it disgusting so gross um on may 10th the santa barbara county Santa Barbara County District Attorney's Office charged him with four additional counts of first-degree murder. Um, so they officially made the arrest on April 24th, but they first started with, like, the identification of his victims four months before this when they uploaded his DNA profile to the GD match from a rape kit that they found in Ventura County. Um, so they... Before they arrested him, this is actually really interesting, they had two suspects like that were, like, very similar, I guess, or, like, very, like, it could be one of them. Mm. And then they used a relative's DNA test to rule out one guy and, like, leave them with D'Angelo. Wow. Also, um, another thing that's interesting, they got his DNA from the door handle of his car and from a tissue that he threw away on April 18th. <laughs> Um, so I personally don't see a problem with collecting DNA like this, especially if we find out later that he's committed hundreds of crimes and has hurt hundreds and hundreds of people. Yeah. But people were like, oh, is it ethical to like go through your trash to get a DNA match through a secondary use? Like, is that okay if you can do that? I think it's fine. He's a bad person. He deserves to be caught. Yeah. Um, anyway, at that point, he sort of confessed and then was arrested. And then he cryptically referred to an inner personality that he named Jerry, who forced him to commit the crimes. Is that just, like, trying to get, like, the insanity plea to get a lesser charge? I have no idea, but whatever it is, I hate it. Yeah, I don't, I don't love it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, according to the Sacramento County prosecutor, he said... While he was alone in the police interrogation room after he was arrested, quote, I didn't have the strength to push him out. He made me. He went with me. 
It was like in my head. I mean, he's a part of me. I didn't want to do those things. I pushed Jerry out and had a happy life. I did all those things. I destroyed all their lives. So now I've got to pay the price. Um, End quote. And he also said, like from that, he said, I did that. I did all those things. I destroyed all their lives. Yeah. He confessed. But then he also was like, Jerry made me do it. What? What? Yeah, no. Like, I, I don't know what he's trying to. I, I like genuinely don't understand. Like, he yeah. he con- like confessed, and then he was like, "Jerry, I had to push Jerry out to have a happy life." To um, me, it kind of sounds like he knows he's caught, but he just doesn't want to take responsibility for it. Yeah. I really feel like that's it. Like, he's blaming Jerry, but he's like, I did it. But, like, it's really Jerry's fault, not mine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they can't formally charge him with the rapes or burglaries in the beginning of his whole crime spree that happened because of the statute of limitations. Um, it expired. But he was charged with the 13 counts of murder and 13 counts of kidnapping. Okay. Um, he was arraigned on August 23rd, 2018. Um, in Sacramento, and then in November of 2018, prosecutors from the counties that were involved, which were like six different counties, collectively estimated that bringing the case to trial could cost the taxpayers $20 million and last up to 10 years. Wow. Just a lot of money. Yeah. Um, At an April 10th court proceeding in 2019, the prosecutors announced that they were going to seek the death penalty, and the judge ruled that cameras would be allowed inside the courtroom during the trial, which I guess is pretty rare. Okay. And then on March 4th, 2020, so, like, literally a couple months ago. Yeah. What? He was, he offered to plead guilty if the death penalty was taken off of the table. This plea deal was not taken at the time, but he did end up pleading guilty to the 13 murder charges Mm -hmm. and kidnapping charges, and, like, that were related to all of the rapes on June 29th to avoid the death penalty. So they did end up accepting this deal. Okay. Um, the prosecutors chose the plea arrangement because it had a whole, like a shorter resolution to bringing the thing to trial. And I guess it cost less money than the $20 million. Yeah. Um, and this was significant because the crimes did take place over four decades that he ended up pleading guilty to them. Insane. 40 years. Yeah. I just can't. Like, all, he's hurt so many people. Yeah, no. That's... I can't imagine. Yeah. Um, but according to the Sacramento County District Attorney, Anne-Marie Schubert, she said, quote, The most compelling reason was to provide finality for all the victims and their families. Mr. D'Angelo will die in prison as a convict, not an accused, end quote. Good. So, yeah, I, I do agree with that. I definitely prefer to have him in prison as someone who is convicted of the crimes yeah he's like accused leaves some room for him to be like i didn't actually do it he yeah did it. he's a terrible person and now like the families can get closure yeah like- exactly which i guess is yeah i cannot imagine what they're going through right now Mm-mm. um she also said that he was a cruel and sadistic serial killer a sociopath and a master manipulator yeah, I believe that. <laughs> I do, too. <laughs> um, prosecutors traded in a quote-unquote unlikely future execution 
for um, his agreement to admit to committing not only the murders and kidnappings that he was charged with, but also all the rapes and all the other crimes that he couldn't legally be prosecuted for because of the statute of limitations. Wow. And again, this was important for the survivors families because they will also have an opportunity to speak directly to D'Angelo when he is wow. formally sentenced. Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, and that's going to happen on August 17th. Oh, wow, that's coming up. Yeah, hopefully Corona doesn't oh, mess with okay. that. Yeah. Um, and they also thought that since he's 74 years old right now, and he kind of does appear like to be really frail, he probably wouldn't live long enough to be executed since that would have taken 10 years to go to trial and the trial would last two years plus the 20 to 25 years of appeals he probably wouldn't survive that yeah so he pleaded guilty in exchange for life in prison without the possibility of parole he will be officially sentenced in august and this is 32 years after the ending of his killing spree and 44 years after the beginning of his crimes wow um the victim impact statement is supposed to begin on the week of August 17th and uh, Judge Michael Bauman has said that there will be no limitations on the time or content of the statements so really the victims and the victims families can take as long as they need that's awesome which is I think probably be really helpful for closure yeah definitely for them. yeah and it's expected to last several days because you know they probably would take a little bit of time to gather themselves before yeah actually speaking to them and also another good thing is that they are providing some financial compensation to the victims oh okay yeah um so all in all to conclude this three-part case he has pled guilty to the 13 murders and 13 kidnappings and he's also admitted that he has committed 62 rapes and admitted to 161 uncharged crimes of rapes attempted murder, robbery, burglary, and kidnapping involving 61 victims. Holy shit. <laughs> Holy shit. There were 42 uncharged rapes but that he did admit to. Mm-hmm. Um, and he will likely serve 11 consecutive life terms without parole and 15 concurrent life sentences with additional time for weapons charges. And he will waive his rights to appeal. Good. Good. <laughs> I'm glad that he's <laughs> behind bars and will not be leaving for a very yeah. long time. Yeah. So yeah, that was it. That was the conclusion to three parts. I'm I'm really glad that it does have an ending. That yeah. like it's not one of those unsolved cases that we're just like, yeah, over a hundred people have been hurt and we don't know who did it. Yeah. As far uh, as our stories go, that is a happy ending. <laughs> yeah. I just I feel so bad for every single family affected by this man. Like, yeah. he was a terrible, terrible human being. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Do you want to end this on a happier note? Um, well, I don't know. <laughs> um, I really want hot, or not hot pockets, um, pizza rolls. Oh, I felt that. So, um, after this, my plan is to check the freezer and see if we have pizza rolls. That's um, a good plan. And heat myself up some if we have some. <laughs> so, fingers crossed. <laughs> I really hope you have pizza rolls in the fridge. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, other than that, yeah, I think that's it. All right. 
I mean, it is a happier ending, I will say. I live a very exciting life. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> life right now is just researching for Grimm and eating pizza rolls. Oh, yeah. And what that's peak living. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I went to Michael's the other day to pick up more canvas because that's all I do now is just paint. <laughs> Having a good They're time. really pretty though. Thank you. I'm working on some things for some friends. Is I one need for to, me? Um, maybe. <gasps> possibly. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> I am too. I have I have a plan and I really hope it works out. Because I have Yay. to like figure out how to draw what I'm gonna put on the canvas first. And I don't have any reference pictures, so we're just going to see Ooh. how it works out. Wow. Okay. I'm so yeah. excited. Yeah. I found, like, pictures of what I want, but it's, like, none of them are from the angle that I wanted at. So we're going to see how it works oh, out. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but then, so I was at Michael's, right? And I don't know why they do this, but they have everything on sale. So obviously, I spent, like, three hours in Michael's. <laughs> And they had, like, all the jewelry on sale, which is, like, stuff that they usually never do. So I got me and my mom matching rings. And I was really ready. I had, like, seven different, like, things of crystal jewelry in my basket. And I had to put (laughs) a lot of it back because I was like, I I can't. I can't have this much jewelry. (laughs) You should have stuck with it. But, like, I have this terrible habit of when I'm in Michael's of just, like, wanting the things and never doing anything with it like there were just pendants that I wanted and like I don't have any chains to put the pendants on but I just wanted the pendants what I like need everything whenever I walk into a craft store and I like literally never craft anything yeah it's (laughs) it's so bad Michael's is so dangerous oh yeah but yeah it was a good time sounds like it yeah at least we had good weeks oh yeah (laughs) all right um do you have anything else to add uh, that's it for me. Do you right. have I don't. All right. Uh, um, don't do your spiel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so find us on Instagram at Grim Podcast. Um, follow us, DM us, like our pictures. Um, from there, there's a little button to, um, well, there's in our bio, there's a link to um, a Google Doc of Black Lives Matter resources. Um, and then there's also a little button to email us. Um, email us at thegrimpodcast at gmail.com. Send us like stories you want us to cover or life updates of your own or anything else you want to say. Um, what else? Oh, we have a Facebook Grim Podcast. We still need to get that up and running. We say that every week, but you know. Yeah, we'll... it's been 40 weeks and we're still <laughs> like, we need to get that up and going. One of these days it'll happen. <laughs> Yeah. Um, we have a Twitter podcast Grim. Um, I think that's it. Yeah, and sounds like give it. us a good review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends, family, mailmen about us. <laughs> I like that one. That one's good. <laughs> Thank you. I've been working on that all week. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah, that's it from us. All right, we'll see you next week for maybe some some creepy pastas. Oh yeah, forgot about that. <laughs> so I'm here. Got to remind you of things. Honestly. <laughs> okay, we'll see you guys next week. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Bye. Bye.